Welcome to the Geek Geek Podcast, where action is the name of the game. I'm Void, and I'm here with my co-host, Beige. Rambo! I, I don't... I Not that I, kind I, of I action. Uh, today, we're talking about action RPGs, because they're kind of weird. I, I think that's why we yeah. want to talk about them, right? They don't, like, fit in neatly to one genre or another. And there's a lot of, like, as we started pulling a list together about stuff that we wanted to just, like, touch on really quick, there's a lot of, like, fuzziness in genres around action RPGs. And, like, I was looking at different lists and things like that just kind of to refresh myself. And there are things that people have listed on these, like, ranked lists of action RPGs that there is in no way I would consider them action RPGs. That I look at it and see, like, Castlevania Symphony of the Night is not an action RPG in my mind. Like, there's no way. Like, Borderlands, I see where they're coming from, but I don't look at borderlands as an action rpg are you the same way where you see some of this stuff and it's just like nah that's an action game yeah i mean i will i think i'm a little bit more tolerant of it because like if people want to consider it that i'm not gonna go fight somebody over it but yeah there's a lot that's questionable and like one of the good illustrations i mean we'll dive into like game by game here in a little bit but one of the good illustrations i always found was like zelda because yeah legend of zelda it a lot of people are like that's not an rpg and other people are like that's an action game and then some people are like it's an action rpg and that is a conversation that nobody can ever win like no there's no end to that conversation because you always have a counterpoint and then you run in these circles and it just never never resolves even with the traditional definition of a role-playing game that there is always this this kind of bleed over when it comes to action rpgs where they they're not traditional role-playing games where you'll have like turn-based uh, combat you'll have a, a long narrative story character development uh, experience points levels equipment this kind of micromanagement as well uh, where zelda doesn't necessarily have all of that like the very original zelda is nowhere near the original dragon quest or final fantasy in terms of story but it still has some of those same elements which is why it gets really fuzzy for some people and uh it's also why action rpgs are a really good gateway to people who want to get more into role-playing games because it's probably more like a game they've already played uh, and can kind of move them into that direction yeah no that's a really good point i mean basically like anything that has general rpg elements attached to it and it isn't turn-based anything within that realm you can kind of make an argument is an action rpg in some way shape or form is kind of what i landed on from a very high level and and these days though it gets a little bit uh, iffy because so many games and just the way that game development has gone so many games are implementing like one or two of those elements in there like being super narrative driven or moving character development like uh, um tomb raider the new tomb raider games have role-playing game elements in them with uh, the crafting and the uh, the becoming more powerful over time. And it's like, I wouldn't consider that a role-playing game, though. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, you know, I was trying to figure out, like, what the criteria would be here. And it feels like something that requires some level of Twitch skill, but still retains some of the RPG elements of, you know, kind of classic or, like, traditional RPG games it's really if it's turn-based if it's something that like pauses time completely those kind of games end up in okay that's like a turn-based rpg or that's a strategy rpg or something that's obviously not action but a lot of those like action just third-person action games have so many rpg elements like you were saying that you can make the argument either way 
I don't mentally classify them that way. Like, I wouldn't say, like, an Uncharted or a Tomb Raider or anything like that that right. you're mentioning is an RPG. But I'm also not going to go tell somebody that they're not if somebody's, like, adamant about it. Because I can kind of see it. Yeah, I could see where they would make the argument. And I guess for me, it's uh, at the end of the day, which one trumps the other in terms of gameplay and progression? Where if you are Twitch, if it's Twitch based, where you can succeed based on your Twitch skills better, like uh, like in Tomb Raider or Uncharted, where the action part is less reliant on your stats, that you can get past this part, or you know, it doesn't matter what your equipment is like if you're better at the game. That's one thing, but I always look at role playing games being the ones where the numbers are what matter the most. It doesn't matter how good you are at uh, at Nino Kuni too, if you don't have have better armor and better weapons and have leveled up your character there's no way you're going to be able to beat these later enemies like the same for kingdom hearts that you're there's just no way you can you know as good as you are at the combat there's no way to beat it without the the stat increases from the character progression i guess that's how i i look at it uh which one trumps the other and it's kind of like then you start getting into the realm of okay what about destiny you know like what about right. games like that because it has it has that like if you don't upgrade your gear if you don't level up if you don't get your light level up or whatever the newest systems are in destiny i haven't played since like destiny 2 came out um but you know it's that loot shooter or schluter as more and more people are saying i don't like that word a whole lot no um, i don't like that at all i've not seen that a, one doesn't it's... have a good mouthfeel to it no the, schluter hmm. yeah but i understand Schluters. where it came from um like anything in that like loot shooter genre you can probably, not everything, but most of it, you could kind of make the argument like, yeah, that's kind of an action RPG. Because if you look at it, it's like, what about Mass Effect? Like, Mass Effect is an action RPG. There's no question. But, right. No no doubt. But, like, Destiny is not that far away. Or, like, Anthem. Like, they're not that far away from Mass Effect. So it's like the lines are super fuzzy in there. And I've always actually considered Destiny and uh, uh, Anthem to be action RPGs that uh, that was the way that I considered them for so long. That's actually why I picked up Destiny to begin with is because of the uh, the action RPG elements in it as opposed to being more of a traditional first-person shooter like Call of Duty or things like that. Oh, for sure. And then, I mean, you asked a really good question as we were trying to get the notes together for today is like, where do Muso games fit into this? Because they're the ones that really, really hybridize both of these kind of straight down the middle uh, because you have just massive mass action that like you're destroying armies upon armies of enemies uh, depend and depending on which one it is i mean if you're in dynasty warriors or like hyrule warriors there are going to be more enemies on the screen coming at you than uh, like dq heroes um and they're they're dragon quest heroes and so you're you're looking at it from that perspective but it's also you are straight up leveling up your armies you're leveling up your characters you're getting new items and abilities um and it's like persona 5 scramble is coming out next year i think where it's a persona game those are absolutely turn-based strat or turn-based role-playing games and here we've got a muso game coming out that is it an action rpg because it's persona or that what elements are they going to keep because it's not going to be a straight-up action game we know that much yeah so all of that to say the lines are blurry you guys are going to have to just bear with us for like the games we talk about because we could argue that most games are but we're we're trying to narrow it to the things that we believe are truly some kind of action rpg so 
with all of that being said, from a high level for action RPGs, this genre is like super hit and miss with me. And it's not even dependent on like the subgenre of game or like even franchise history sometimes doesn't steer me in the right way. This is this is a genre that it's just extremely like all over the place. Like some games I'll absolutely love and a lot of them I'll just bounce off of right away. But for you, it seemed like you kind of have these like small subsets where you really like them and then you kind of ignore the rest, right? Yeah, I do. I like the Kingdom Hearts, Legend of Zelda kind of JRPG where it is it's story-based. It is predominantly stat and equipment management uh, action where it's twitchy, but it's not reliant on me being a 12-year-old uh, being able to move my fingers in uh, upside-down directions and twist them like pretzels. Uh, I cannot do that anymore. So I like games like that versus something like uh, the loot and the loot shooters, the loot, uh, uh, I don't even know what to call them, the loot collection games like Diablo, the dungeon crawlers. I don't like those nearly as much. The uh, the Torchlight and the Diablos and the, uh, the games where that is the primary thing, the Borderlands. I mean, like I was saying, the stuff where you're just getting better loot over and over again generally are not games that I'm going to stick with for any given time because it's not something that's fun to me and it's those base those very base elements of the the genre like the the way that you play and the purpose of the game that really holds me back on a lot of those yeah i don't like the grind a whole lot either you know i like i like something that's going to bring me through the story or give me an experience or get me to the next thing without a ton of grinding and then i just never enjoy that end game treadmill of just like get more loot to get more loot um that's not compelling for me so i think I'm kind of on the same page as you. And I think for me also, it's the kind of combat that you get in those kind of games that in the uh, looter dungeon crawler game, you tend to have more of a simplistic combat system. Like Diablo, you'll get the you know different abilities that you can use in a few keybinds and that's it. You're going to have uh, different kinds of simple combat systems like Marvel Ultimate Alliance 3 is absolutely one of the uh, kind of grindy action dungeon crawler RPGs. And you have like four abilities that you can do at yeah. any given time. Like you build up to four abilities. Like that's all you get. You're building up your characters. You're building up cosmetic suits. You're doing all of this. But it's very simple combat when you compare it to something like Xenoblade 2, Xenoblade Chronicles 2, or Final Fantasy 15. Those are definitely more in-depth combat systems yeah i mean and it runs the gamut right so like a bunch of games that we were just throwing stuff on the list to try to like get our heads around it even and these are ones we didn't want to talk about super in depth but just so you guys know where our heads are at like diablo like one two and three all of them you know witcher three dark souls and bloodborne and that whole like Soulsborne genre as a whole um you know skyrim you got like Fallout 3 and 4 are good examples of stuff in here. Um, Secret of Mana, like Cat's Quest and Ease. Like it, it's wide variety out there of games. And you can look at like the East games where they've changed now to be more of a Kingdom Hearts game that started in I think East 7. Uh, they redid the combat because for years the way that those games were like looking at them in the 16-bit era real especially, it's like you have Link to the Past where it's a traditional Zelda style game. And then you have East that is bump combat. That you run into enemies at, at within certain directions and it does damage to you both depending on 
on what direction you hit them from. And so it's a, a special kind of combat that is definitely action-based, but where does it fall in between, say, the uh, the dungeon crawler, more simple combat versus the Zelda or uh, Kingdom Hearts, whatever kind of action combat? It's just it falls in kind of in a middle weird place where it's uh, it's just unique in some ways. Yeah, so let's talk a little bit about like our favorite ones in the genre that we ended up pulling out. I'm going to start with one of mine that's like probably the controversial one because it's in that fuzziness zone, so I'll get it out of the way, but just Breath of the Wild. Like that and also Link Between Worlds, so a couple different Zelda games mixed in here. Um you could argue that they're not RPGs, but you know I'm going to throw them in here because they're kind of part of the mix just depending on, you know, where you draw the line. So Breath of the Wild is amazing, Link Between Worlds is amazing. That's kind of all I'm going to say because they're not prototypical examples of the genre and I think the other ones we have on this list are better, but I can't go without saying that those are kind of a possibility depending on where you draw that line. Yeah, and I think there are uh, different kinds of action RPGs too because even with Breath of the Wild being what it is, it feels more like an a western and Amer- I don't want to say American. It feels more like a western JRPG or action RPG as opposed to the uh, the JRPG that like Link Between Worlds feels like because of it being third person open world world uh, over the shoulder uh, action as opposed to kind of top down uh, searching around screen kind of uh, action RPG. Oh, for sure. Uh, yeah, they're very different. They, they do two completely different kinds of, of action there. Yeah. And like I said, I could argue for either one being either in or out of this classification. But like, I think the other ones on our list are pretty solid. I mean, one that I put on your list for you is Kingdom Hearts, because I knew it was going to be there. Yeah, I mean, to me, that's kind of the quintessential action RPG. And it's weird because, you know, I've, I've, it's the P, it's a PS2 game, and there were plenty of action RPGs before the PlayStation 2. And it's, But it's the one that I go back to all the time when I want to think about just straight-up action RPG, because it has a story, it has a well, it doesn't make any sense, but it has a lasting, cohesive narrative that has gone for, uh, you know, 15, 20 years. You have uh, character development in terms of you're learning new spells, you're learning new abilities, you're adjusting your armor, uh, taking, you know, changing out your weapons. Um, you have a party with you where you have uh, Donald and Goofy and whatever other uh, Disney character that you're uh that you're playing with at the time that that's depending on which world you're in you have shops where you're buying items uh, and you upgrade uh, ship and things like that where it has all of the traditional jrpg elements to it and there's even a small menu that you use it may have been one of the first games action rpgs to actually incorporate a real-time menu as well where you use the uh the analog stick to move yourself around but have the d-pad to select different commands where it was a real hybrid of the turn-based menu system and the action rpg press a button to swing your your sword kind of system yeah i know i think you're right i think it was one of the first ones that did that which is why one of the reasons that it's obvious that it has like these strong jrpg roots is because some of that carries over from those other games that were before it and yeah it's just been interesting to see how things have like evolved over time and changed because one of mine here is Monster Hunter, and I'm going to say Monster Hunter World because it's like the only one that I've actually gotten into, but I love that game. It's amazing. There's no question that it is an action RPG. Like, it's about getting I disagree. Gear. I completely disagree with you. I don't think that, I think there's a question because it's always been an action game in my mind. 
No, it's about getting gear that and leveling is. up to get more gear to level up again. Like it's, and you're telling a story and you're working your way through it, and you know you increase your stats by getting gear just because your character doesn't have like a concrete level. That doesn't really matter. Like, and it, to me, that's the part that that hits me. It's like this is an action game where I'm getting better gear, and it's where the twitch and the twitch parts of it make so much of a difference that it feels like an action game to me. Like well, that's one of those where it won't. Uh, like what we were talking about earlier with the genre being so fluid that different people see it in different ways. Like this is one where I thought it was going to be more role-playing game. And because it turned out to be more action oriented, I bounced off of it so hard. Yeah. I mean, there's different levels of skill that you need and different levels of Twitch skills, but I guess for me, maybe like one of the mental lines that I've drawn that, again, you can argue either way, because obviously you're coming down on the other side of it for this one. But it's like the gear that you're getting, is it changing stats or is it really just like changing the way that you play? Because there's a lot of games I'm thinking about, like um, Bayonetta and like Devil May Cry and games where like you're getting new weapons along the way or maybe new things that you can equip. But it doesn't have these like RPG stats necessarily that it ties back to. It's just like it handles differently, right? Like you switch out the weapon because it's like a shotgun versus a handgun and like they have different ways that they feel as you're playing and there are trade-offs there are games where you will switch between different sets of gear that you've acquired throughout the game even all the way to the end of the game you might go back to the things that you had as default at the very beginning of the game because they're still viable those don't feel like rpgs to me those feel like action games that are giving you options over time something like monster hunter world you would never go back to your starting weapons or your starting armor because you're always progressing forward because they're like actual stats that have numbers that are tied to all the different things that go up over time and you're always improving you're always moving towards the next one and when you get to end game you might have a couple different gear sets for like different circumstances but you would never say okay forget all the end game gear i have i'm gonna go back to what i had in the first hour of the game do you know what i mean i do and it's but to me it's kind of like that uh like the metroidvania thing where you're doing the pretty much the same thing but uh but I wouldn't consider those an action RPG, even though they have those same kind of progressions. It's it's weird. Like the action RPG whole thing is is a very very odd uh, odd way to look at it because for some reason the lack of character development on there completely makes it so that it does not feel like an RPG to me. That's that interesting. Even yeah, with I'm the looking gear. at your list now. Your whole list has character progression in it. Yeah, and like Zelda doesn't have real character progression in it. You get hearts. You don't True. necessarily get stats or anything along the way. You just get more health. Yep. Where by my definition, it would be a, by my definition of Monster Hunter, it would be an action game, but I consider it an RPG. And I don't know why, like you're he listening to me, like the criteria is the same. It's just a double standard on my end. Yeah, it's interesting. Well, okay, let's talk about one that we both agree on that you have on your list, and I forgot it existed in this genre, is Final <laughs> Fantasy XV. And it is super controversial. Yeah, I could see that. I, I just forgot that it was like, oh, yeah, this is an action RPG, because it totally yeah. is. Like, that's the way that I played the game, too. Yeah, I mean, I it it's a Kingdom Hearts game. 
like in terms of combat, the way that they have based all of the uh, the way that you fight every enemy, you can select things from menus at the same time you're pressing a button to swing the sword. You use abilities to warp. You use uh, keybinds to warp, warp around and target, but uh, but you have to be able to make use of a real time menu system to use items and spells. What spells there were and <laughs> that kind of thing. It's like and they were items technically. So, I mean, it's a very, it's a, it's Nomura who made it. So it's the same combat system, only it changed and evolved a little bit. The same for Final Fantasy VII Remake. It's an action RPG. Yeah, no, totally. I mean, at least in Final Fantasy VII Remake, they have a mode in there that's turn-based, which is pretty sweet. Right. Um, but no, I agree. That one's totally an action RPG too. But like, I like Final Fantasy XV. I liked it more for the story than the gameplay. The gameplay, it wasn't as boring as I find like Kingdom Hearts, like I just do not like the gameplay of Kingdom Hearts that much. Um, I thought that Final Fantasy 15 was slightly more engaging, but not not dramatically more engaging. It's kind of in the same realm. Like I liked 15 because it's a mainline Final Fantasy game, and I'm almost always willing to give those a lot of slack to get me invested in the story. And then once I'm invested, I'm in. So like it was the story that really pulled me through that game. And it's the opposite for me. Like, the story pulled me through it. Don't get me wrong. The story is by far the best part about that game. And it's why I want to go through and actually finish all of the episodes at some point that they've put out. But the combat for it, I felt it was clunkier than Kingdom Hearts. Even Kingdom Hearts 3, which was just too overwhelming in almost every way for the for the combat. I felt that uh, in Final Fantasy 15, the combat was by far the weakest part of the game that I never ended up enjoying it. That I didn't ever feel like it had the, uh, the right amount of polish on it to play that I thought every Kingdom Hearts game has pretty much done it better because they've made it more uh, fluid and uh, easier to uh, easier to accomplish what you're setting out to accomplish, I guess, is the way it feels. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. Games iterate over time, but I still, I just liked some of the basic approaches in 15 better than I liked some of the basic things in Kingdom Hearts. I don't know. Maybe it just clicked with me better for, you know, no apparent yeah. reason, but it, it happens. It, it does. It's like, it's like Zelda and Monster Hunter. For me, it's like just no apparent reason. It's just that's the way it was. Yeah. So Xenoblade's on your list too, right? Xenoblade is on my list. Like Xenoblade uh, Chronicles uh, one and two are absolutely action RPGs because I mean they've they've got real time combat. You walk up, you start fighting, but you get a level of you get character progression, you get gear just like in any turn based JRPG or even you know RPG uh, Western RPG like Witcher three or Skyrim. But it's uh, you also get kind of a queue system that you get used to in both of them where you have the abilities that change in and out you get different um you get different skills and uh, blades in the second one that adjust how you play, where it changes what combat feels like. But at the heart, it's an auto attack game that you're then interacting with on a kind of queue system with the way the abilities work in, within a menu, yeah. waiting on timers. No, I don't think there's any question about it, but you liked it. That's the main thing, right? Like, yeah, you really I liked, liked it. those games, even though I bounced off of them very hard. I hated the first one's combat when I tried it the first time I did not like it then I got into Xenoblade 2 and it was a much 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 polished version of Xenoblade Chronicles 1 and so when I went back after I'd beaten 2 
it was like, oh, I see what they were trying to do here. That's how you use this. And I fully understood it because they had simplified it and polished it enough that I saw the base of the second game in there. So when I went back to the first one, I liked that action system. Oh, yeah, I remember that. That makes a lot of sense. Well, and even then, there's like Xenogears. It's a turn-based game, but it has combos like Street Fighter in it. It's like triangle, triangle, square X to do something, but it's in within a certain period of time to do a combo within a turn-based game. It's kind of yeah. like Sabin in Final Fantasy VI, but that's just an outlier for a mechanic. Right. Yeah, there's a couple of games in that realm where you have to like do something. Like I'm thinking about Squall's Gunblade in Final Fantasy VIII, or yep. ooh, what's the game? Um it's, Mario RPG, where you uh, hit the button. Legend one. of Dragoon. Legend of Dragoon. That's what I was thinking of. Yep. Where you have to like time your attacks to like make them mm-hmm. more effective. Yeah. There's there's a bunch of examples of stuff like that. Where they bring in action elements into a turn based right. RPG, yep. as opposed to the other direction where they're bringing turn based elements into an action game. Yeah. So how about like Marvel Ultimate Alliance, which I know both of us have played this year. So that's one that's definitely more action than rpg in my mind it is it's definitely more action like it's a smashy smashy game like in my mind it is but i wouldn't consider it and i wouldn't consider it just a just an action game that it's uh it's got enough like you're unlocking stats and things but and because there's a story there that you're going through because it kind of feels like diablo and diablo is an rpg uh i don't know it's it's again you're not necessarily getting you're progressing a character in it, which I think is what gets me. Like you're doing character levels to unlock different abilities, and then you unlock like uh, like alliance abilities as you go through, and you have like equipment with the ISO eight. So it's got that at the very basics, but it's still one of those like dungeon crawler RPGs that I don't usually spend a lot of time with. Uh, this one's a good like go and do a couple of things and then leave kind of game. Yeah, that's exactly how I played it. I mean, it was really fun with the kids. It's not going to be like one of my games of the year by any measure, but as something that's easy to throw on with kind of like anybody, regardless of their skill level, and just like be a superhero and bash things, it's a great game for that. Yep, absolutely. That's what I use it for, and that's why I like it, because you're, and I think that's where it comes in, you're, you be a superhero, like when you said you be a superhero and bash things where it's not as though you're playing as this uh, superhero doing something like you do in a traditional action game. You said you be a superhero and you bash things. It's really that that putting yourself in there kind of thing that yeah. makes it an RPG. It's weird that there are some things that make you make different people feel like that. So, OK, what else is on your list? You have Tales of. Is that like all of the Tales of games? Yeah, they are all action RPGs. They go into specific battle screens. Like you'll go, and this applies to actually to Nino Kuni too, as well, where you have normal battles like you would in any normal turn based RPG, where you it's either an enemy on the field that you run into or you get into a random battle. But once you get within that separate screen, it turns into an action RPG like Kingdom Hearts, where you're running around smashing things, you're pressing a button to perform an action and you're doing button combos uh to be able to do special attacks um like in the tales of games it was only until fairly recently that you weren't running on a two uh, on a 2d plane that you could only move left and right you and jump but you couldn't run around in the 3d space you were still on a track huh, which made it unique and now i haven't played zesteria uh or berseria or vesperia yet uh, the one on switch but the last few that i've played 
could you could hold a button down, like hold R1, I think, and then it would let you move around in 3D space. And when you let go of it, then you started doing more of the side-to-side uh, combat like you usually do. So it's, is uh, it, how close is it to, to like Nino Kuni 2? Because you mentioned that it was kind of similar. They feel so similar, except for that last part. Okay. Like the, the, the 2D to 3D thing is a Tails game. That's a definitely a Tails kind of uh, mechanic. But Nino Kuni 2 feels like a, uh, a Tails game in a lot of ways, where you go into that kind of, of separate screen, and then it turns into a one-button, one-attack thing. Use triangle, maybe, to, uh, to cast a spell, or you hold L1 to get your list of spells, or something like that, where it's... Uh, like just like in Kingdom Hearts, but you're on a completely separate screen and everything else about the game is traditional JRPG progression. You get the overworld map screen, you get uh, weapon, new weapons to attack, new, to equip and attack with, you get new kinds of party members that you swap in and out, you, uh, you get just all of the character progression that goes through um, and spells to manage, all of this. It's just that when you go into that separate screen, it turns into like Kingdom Hearts combat where you're within an arena doing that same kind of combat yeah and i think i i kind of liked it when i tried it i think yeah. Kuni 2 is one that i mentally have classified as a like maybe someday type of game it's like if i'm in the right mood for the right type of game and the price is right on a system that's convenient for me maybe someday i'll end up playing through that game but like i rented it and i gave it a good couple hours just to kind of see what was there and i definitely yeah. see why you liked it as much as you did and it's one i haven't finished it yet it actually blocked me because of hardcore rpg elements in it not even hardcore i shouldn't even say hardcore but it's a gate that you have to do some menial tasks to move to through the main narrative because of a side mission because of side projects like there you build up a town and there's at one point that you cannot progress through the main story without going and collecting your uh, enough villagers to live in your your kingdom here and it's like i didn't do all these side quests that i went through to recruit like these 19 villagers and so now i'm having to go travel the world again just so i can progress the story and continue and it's like that's very much a turn-based jrpg kind of uh system and it's bad. Like that it's I've stopped playing it, but I love the action combat in it because it's simple and responsive and fun without getting overly complicated. Okay, yeah. No, that makes sense. I mean, and that's some of like does the game strike the right balance between action and RPG? And it doesn't always. Like regardless of no. any game we've talked about on this list and it's different mixtures of those two genres work for different people, right? Cuz like one of mine here, and I only have a couple left, was it's like Mass Effect, like the whole series. But if you look at each game individually for Mass Effect, each one has a slightly different mix of like action shooter type of game and abilities that are like action abilities mixed with RPG elements. Because the first Mass Effect is actually really heavy on the RPG elements, and I didn't realize till I went back and tried to play it sometime in the last couple years. Um... But, like, your skill at shooting matters so much less in Mass Effect 1. It's a lot more about the stats and the equipment and all that. By the time you get to Mass Effect 2, it feels like a shooter that has, like, RPG elements put onto it. Except some of the abilities and stuff still feel RPG-ish. And then by the time you get to Mass Effect 3, it's like you're basically in, like, a third-person shooting game. And it's weird to see—not even weird. It's just interesting to see how it's changed over time. 
And I've not played through very much of that series, and it makes me a little sad that it went that direction because in in the first one, one of the reasons when it was new, and this was when it was new, so so bear that in mind. Uh, one of the reasons I didn't like it as much was because it was way too heavy on the shooter, the shooter part of it that I wanted it to be far more into the into the RPG part. And you said that it's the heaviest of any of them. So if I'd ever tried to go into the other ones, I probably would have bounced even harder. Yeah, and, you know, honestly, I think that for most people, the best way, if you are going to try to get to the Mass Effect series, there's like a, it's not a graphic novel, it's some kind of like motion animation thing that's almost a comic, almost like a a mini RPG thing where you can play through the story of Mass Effect 1 very simplified and make decisions and get the gist of the story. And then you can import that into Mass Effect 2. And I think that's probably the best way into the series because Mass Effect 2 is honestly my favorite game in Mass Effect series. And I think that Mass Effect 2 strikes the best balance between shooting and RPG elements. So I, I like that game a lot. And I've started to, but I've never gotten terribly far into it. So I need to go back and play it because I want to. I just, it's one of those that's kind of on, it's it's in the place that Nino Kuni is for you. Uh, Nino Kuni 2 is where it's, I'm going to get to that. I would like to play that. I liked it enough to see what people liked about it. And I will get to that eventually. Totally. And so the last game on my list is, I couldn't go without saying it in this episode, Dragalia Lost because Mm -hmm. it's probably the action RPG that I've played the most over the last year, because I've been playing it literally every single day. Like, it just hit the one-year anniversary point, and I realized that I don't think I've missed a day of this game since I started playing it. Wow. And, like, I don't play it for a long time every day. I use it as part of, like, waking up, because I can do the same... It's some of the stuff that I hate in other games. It's, like, doing the same activities day after day with, like only slight variations for only slight upgrades and slight advancement over time. I only can tolerate it because it's in a mobile game form and I play it for like 15 minutes every morning as part of I'm like waking up and getting ready for work just to get my brain out of sleep mode. And that's like literally what I use the game for. But I like it. Like I do like this game. Otherwise, I wouldn't go back and play it every single day. And it's not a bad game. That's the thing about that one. It falls into more of the the action RPG style that I tend not to like very much. But I had fun with this one. And it was, like I've said before, it was too heavy on some of the gotcha elements and that minor progression over time. And where I just didn't, I didn't have as much fun with it as you do. But it's absolutely a quality action RPG. Yeah, and it makes me wonder if, you know, like last BlizzCon when everybody was booing them for Diablo, what is it, Immortal, whatever the the mobile one is, um, it makes me wonder if I'm going to like that game a lot more than most people, because I never stuck with like Diablo 1, 2, or 3, but if it's on mobile and if it's simplified and if the controls work to be like a one-handed game that doesn't take a whole lot of like mental processing power, I might actually click with that game, which is kind of weird. We'll see how it goes, because it could be something on mobile that's worth it to spend the time on, but it also, it could be just another, uh, it could just be another hard pass. Yeah, it could go either way. So... There you guys go. A bunch of action RPG thoughts. We kind of thought we were going to do like our favorites and our top, but this ended up just being a discussion about like what even is an action RPG. So that's where the episode went. And I'm I'm happy with it. Um, yeah. We, we want to get... know what you think about this, too. Yeah, actually, so... that's a good point. 
So this is something that we're that as you can tell we're conflicted on, but not in any kind of negative way. That we don't know exactly where we stand on some of this. So hop on Discord, uh, hop on Slack, uh, tweet us, email us, whatever. Uh, let us know what you feel like about with action RPGs and where you fall uh, kind of on this uh, spectrum on what you consider to be an action RPG uh, and uh, which ones you like and don't like and hate and love yes it's a good conversation and we want to keep having it with more people um and while you're there leave us questions we need more questions for our mailbag question episode once a year you only have a couple weeks left before we record that one so time is not quite of the essence yet but we're getting there um all that being said what do you have for our geeky offer of the week this week We've got Patreon again, you guys, so uh, just to keep it very brief, head over to patreon.com slash geek to geekcast and you can become a patron saint of geekery on Discord. You can just support the podcast uh, in any way possible. You can uh, do fantastic things uh, to support us and keep us on the air. Perfect. Uh, around the network this week, Geekitude, it had Joe and Ray was back. He's back from all of his travels he's been on lately. They talked about the Joker movie and a bunch of their impressions about it, which I like hearing because it makes me realize that that movie is probably not for me and I can just skip it. But it was still a really good conversation around like, how do you do the Joker? What's the implications like in a cinematic universe or outside of one? And like, just how do you approach a character like that? It was a great conversation. Uh, Tea right. Time with Katie and Chelsea. Katie did a one-off special episode about LA Comic Con and kind of summarized what she did there and what it's all about, which, which was super interesting to hear about. Troidal is always streaming on Thursday mornings. Capsule J streams Tuesdays from 8 to 11 p.m. Eastern and sometimes Thursdays and weekends. And then The Geekery this week, of course, Austin and 13th Story. What were they writing about? I don't think they did this week, so we'll just tell them to go find content. So go find content there. Yes, go find content. There's lots of content for uh, the Geekery, which usually there's a, a post or two every week from somebody or multiple people. So there's always stuff there you can check out. You can go to email. You can go and subscribe via email if you just want to get it delivered to you instead of seeking it out at geek2geekmedia.com slash subscribe. With all that out of the way, what do we have for Weekly Geekery this week? Well, I think a couple of hours line up, so I'll do Which is those, weird. Uh, that, like, never happens. And it's because we were talking at the end of the episode last week after we stopped recording, and we made a couple of television recommendations to each other, and it turns out that both of us completely finished both of the recommendations uh, for it, so we'll, we can actually talk about both of these things we recommended to each other. Yeah, usually um, when we recommend stuff, we, we know each other well enough to be like, maybe try this, but you probably won't like it. And mm -hmm. we both gave each other some recommendations. We're like, I don't know what you're going to think of this. And then both of us liked all of it. So we're talking about Fleabag and we're talking about The Boys, both of which are Amazon originals. And I think you and I binged all of it, right? Yes, actually. Uh, you told me you didn't know what to think about The Boys. And I was on the fence of whether to watch it because I've been in the middle of kind of superhero burnout uh, since Endgame happened. And so I haven't really wanted to pick up The Boys, but the way that you described it to me, and I don't want to, I don't even want to say what, it, how you described it to me. Um, but it was because it was kind of spoilery. So, okay, so, how do you describe it now that you've watched it? It, okay, so it's a superhero movie. Uh, well, 
Well, it's a superhero series that doesn't feel like most superheroes. Um, it does something different with superheroes, which is really what I, what made me fall in love with it. Um, it's not a typical uh, superhero show. It feels like Rising Stars mixed with Watchmen, kind of mixed with Brandon Sanderson's Steelheart. There are different vibes that, that go on throughout the show, but one of the things that uh, it deals with are kind of the societal ramifications of superheroes, like, and and. Re- Real world issues that would happen, like what happens if the Flash doesn't pay attention and he runs through somebody else and they explode. And how do you? This is one of the things. It's really good. It's really well done. It's very high quality. It is not for kids. It is a superhero thing, but it is adult only. Do not try to watch this with kids because you will get blindsided suddenly by like extreme violence. Like, someone who's basically the flash running through somebody and it's extremely like bloody and gory and like not for kids but if you're an adult and you're ready for a twist on superheroes this is a twist for sure yeah it and the thing is it's not a twist that if you've read rising stars or watchmen or steelheart that is really going to feel out of place to you like it's going to be something 100 percent original but the way that they handle everything it is it has cult it has societal commentary in it. It's talking a lot about the current superhero uh, culture that we have right now, as well as politics. Uh, but it's never really over the top, like in your face stuff. It's just dealing with societal issues from a through a lens of a superhero and from a superhero narrative. And it's just it's fascinating and every episode got better than the last one that i am dying for season two i finished this last night and i just want season two right now that's funny because that's almost exactly what i wrote i said it got better and better as it went along which is rarely true of any show and this one is extremely true it just got better every episode and i want more of this right now like i want season two as soon as i can get it it went places that i didn't expect it to like the way that this series, this season ended, I didn't expect the way that they did it. Like I was expecting similar things. Like I'd seen a few things coming throughout the season of what happened, but the very, very end of it, the way that they uh, they played with what you do and the way reliable and unreliable narrators, it surprised me at the very end that I didn't think that was the route they were going to take. Yeah, and like I just I want more of it. You know it turns into this like intense and intriguing drama and it doesn't shy away from like sex or violence it doesn't always it's not like always about that but it definitely has moments where it's like okay you have you should be an adult to watch this show um but one of the things that after thinking about it and finishing it and like giving it a couple days it really reminds me of game of thrones and the reason it does is because of what game of thrones did to the fantasy genre it took the stereotypical setting of fantasy that everyone's like oh yeah i know what to expect with a fantasy story but instead of that game of thrones uses that setting to tell this like intricate and adult story and that's what the boys does but with superheroes like yeah it's using superheroes in a modern day setting to tell this like intricate and adult story and it's just part of the setting instead of being like everyone's good everyone's perfect they're all like superheroes that's not what they are they're people they're celebrities they work for companies there's a lot of like mega corporation implications in here that were just utterly fascinating yeah and it's not even that they're they're villains like you or they're not heroes 
you know, all the way through. It's not like they're villains either, like the Steelheart thing. It's uh, where they they turn evil eventually. Uh, every there's no heroes. It's that they're people and they make decisions like people would in a situation like this. And so it just becomes something that we don't really see a lot of in the superhero genre. And so if you're if you've been on the fence like I was about it. Give it a shot. Watch it and see if uh, this take on superheroes is something that would interest you because it doesn't feel like superheroes so much as it feels like you said. That's a good way of putting it with Game of Thrones. It feels like a uh, an adult drama, just a, a drama for adults being told with superheroes in a completely different way than the Marvel Netflix movie or TV oh, shows did. Yeah. Like while those are for adults and they're telling those those adult stories, this is not telling adult stories in a comic booky way. No, it's not a comic book story. Like, yeah, I, I really think that like what Game of Thrones did and twisted fantasy in that direction, that's what the boys is doing for like superheroes, basically. Yeah. Yeah. And it is based on a comic. I looked it up and I didn't know that it was based on a Garth Ennis comic uh, that was uh, published by Wildstorm. And once I saw that it was a Garth Ennis comic, I was like, oh, yeah, this is totally a Garth Ennis comic. It is 100 percent Garth Ennis. Um, He did Preacher and uh, it was all over how the story was constructed that it was uh, based on a Garth Ennis comic. And that's not a bad thing. It's uh, now I've got to go read these comics because I didn't know. I thought this was a completely original property. Yeah, it feels like. Well, I mean, you know, it's an Amazon original, so I kind of suspected the same thing, too. But so is the other one. So Fleabag, right? That's the other one that you and I both watched. I watched both seasons. Did you watch everything? Yep, I watched everything, and that is all there is that uh, she has said the creator of this show has said that is all there's going to be of this until if she doesn't have unless she has another idea but she wants uh, her to go and live her life for a while the character to go and live her life for a while if she ever comes back to her yeah and it's not a ton of like tv either they're like 22 to 27 minute episodes like they're in that kind of you know 20 30 minute realm and there's only is it 12 of them total it's like 12 or 14 Uh, yeah there's 12 between 12 and 15 yeah, yeah it's not many yeah and that's across both seasons so like each season's like six seven episodes like it's not not a huge ask but it's really good and it's really fascinating and i don't know how to like recommend it to people because there's not a whole lot there for me to compare it to which is usually no. where you want to go if you don't want to have spoilers and the one thing i could think of is that this is a slice of life like it is an early 30s slice of life for this woman and it's telling a different kind of adult story. It's not like extremely violent, but there is sex in it. But a lot of it becomes about like family relationships and how you like, you know, relate to other people romantically or as a couple or just like, how do you deal with your siblings when you're an adult, you know, or your grown up parents and all of that kind of stuff gets intertwined into this very, very interesting slice of life that just like pulled me through the whole thing. And it was all I wanted to watch until I finished it. Yeah, I was the same way. Jennifer discovered it while I was in Mexico uh, because this won a bunch of Emmys that Fleabag won a lot of Emmys and we had never even heard of it. Like we had seen, I think, the cards on Amazon being like, OK, there's this thing that didn't look like anything to us, but it got all of this praise. It won all of these awards. And Jennifer was like, Jennifer went and looked it up to see what stuff was and she started watching it and she watched the first episode of it and was like i don't know if i like this and then she let the second episode play and then she was like i still don't know if i like this then she let the third episode play and she watched it and was like i guess i like this show 
I think, that's, and continued yes, to watch it. That is how I and, felt watching it too. That I think that and that's would what be I a, told you. That okay. was how I pitched it. I was. I remember when I uh, told you. I was like. I don't. This isn't a show that you have to give two or three episodes to determine whether you're going to watch it. Like that's not the way it works. Like to, for it to find its feet, it finds its feet in the first five minutes of the show. Oh yeah, for it's sure. Whether, it's whether or not that show is for you. But it's kind of like the way that you were with Red Dead Redemption, where you're not sure how you feel about it for a little while, but at the same time you continue because you are unabashedly engaged with it. And you want to see what's going on. And it's just so well done that that you both love and hate the characters at the same time. Like you love watching them. You hate some of them. And it's like the acting and casting is just so well done throughout the entire thing. And it's I don't know what it's about. Like it's about like you said, being early 30s character and family relationships and like dealing with trauma and trying to survive and be a human being again after major life traumas. It's very powerful, but hilarious. It's good. It's like really good. So I think both of us recommend The Boys and Fleabag as Amazon originals and also don't watch them with children. Don't watch either one with children. Please don't Mm -mm. do that. Nope. You can start Fleabag, and within the first five minutes of that show, if your kids are in the room, you're going to have a fun discussion with them. Yeah, don't, don't, don't do, do that. that. No, um, but those are both good. What else have you been up to besides watching those? Uh, mainly playing Dragon Quest XI-S on the Switch. Like, I'm finally past where I was when I stopped playing it, and so the, the new combat speed-up is great. Like, I love games that are now letting you speed up combat, that uh, the ultra-fast or very fast, whatever it is in uh, DQ11, has made it so that I've gone through, even watching all but, like, one or two cutscenes, I got to the point where I was in the original game in, like, 14 hours, as opposed to, like, 22, and so now I'm at, like, 28 hours and I'm significantly further than I was that uh, the combat speed up helps a lot in this game and uh, like I just got to the point where I'm into some of the new content that they've added in for the Switch uh, where they're kind of side stories for the characters and I love the characters in this game and these are interesting stories and interesting gameplay but they've put them in the wrong place they should have let these be optional at some point. Uh, so if anybody's playing this and you get to the point where uh, where you get to Act 2, and you're going to know when you get to Act 2, uh, when you get to Act 2 and the game uh, gives you these side stories, push through them. There's only, they're only a couple of hours because they break the narrative in such a way that it's like, I want to know more about the main narrative instead of these side stories. Um, even though the side stories are pertinent to these characters, it's like they put them in a wrong place and they should have been like selectable from uh, a menu later on as a flashback uh, gameplay kind of DLC thing like some games do. It's uh, it's weird where they put them in, but I'm almost through with them and I'm glad they exist, but I'm not sure I agree with where they put them in at. But you're still liking it on Switch a lot, right? Oh, yeah. It is one of the best RPGs I've ever played. Okay. It is so good. Like, I know you bounced off of it really hard, but it is one of the, it is absolutely going to be in my top five of the year this year. No doubt in my mind. Cool. That's awesome. I mean, I have 
So I have a couple books I've been reading. I'm going to hold on to them for next week just because we're getting there on time. And I have a, like some of the more recent game releases that have been coming out that I've been trying. And I think maybe next week we'll just play catch up a little bit with like games that have been coming out and other things that are going yeah. on because it's October and it's busy. So I'll hold those too. So the one other thing I want to talk about before we wrap up is um, I watched Spider-Man Far From Home finally. Awesome. And it is a really good movie and I liked it a lot. I don't have a whole lot else to say that you haven't said about it already, um, right. except that the Mysterio segments were extremely well done, and they were confusing in a way that you can keep up with, which is extremely hard to pull off from a filmmaking perspective. I was like in awe of the filmmaking of those sequences specifically because it was just so well done, and I know how difficult that was to do. It was just incredible. A- yeah, just watching it, it's like you're you're keeping track of the logistics of it while still being confused. And that it's, that's hard to do. It's hard to have confusing that also makes sense at the same time because they're like yeah. fundamentally opposed. And they pulled it off in this one. They 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 made it the Mysterio parts of this feel like reading Mysterio comics, but it it not in a weird hokey kind of comic booky way. It was I love this movie. I I I don't haven't watched it again since the theater, but uh, I really really look forward to watching this one again. Yeah, I liked it a lot. And like Tom Holland is still just he's the best Spider Man ever. Like I don't know how anybody's gonna outdo him after this. He sells all the aspects of Peter Parker so well. You know he's awkward but he's super smart and he's extremely capable but totally unsure of himself at the same time like he just he's the perfect casting for peter parker and i think he is yeah i don't know if they will ever find a better casting for him so i hope that they don't mess it up through their deals and with sony and sony jerking disney around and stuff well they've fixed that now they've come to an agreement they're doing things like that. Spider-Man staying in the MCU. All of this is going on. Like all the all the stuff's good again, and it's because of Tom Holland kind of mediating between them. Like everything that you just said about him being Peter Parker is apparently true in real life. That he is super capable, and uh, made sure that they came to uh, came to an amicable came to an amicable agreement and uh, saved the MCU. Yay. Thank you, Tom Holland, for saving the MCU. I don't know if I'm going to go that far. Thank you for saving Spider-Man, though. That That's good. I'm glad that it's going to stay with the current setup where it's Sony and it's Disney and like they've made two great movies. I want to see the next one, basically. Yeah. I'm I'm glad because Peter Parker and Spider-Man have kind of become the face of this phase of the MCU, kind of like Iron Man was. I mean, they've obviously set it up for that, but he is the the one that you're looking at now as the the Captain America and Iron Man of this this phase. And if he, that we had lost that, that I think a lot of a lot of what's appealing about these next few movies would have been uh, would have been gone. Yeah. So I liked it. I want more. I want more of this Peter Parker and the Spider-Man and everything that comes with it. That's probably it for this week. Uh, you guys can write to us with comments, suggestions, or feedback. Our email address is geek2geekcast at gmail.com. Please send us questions. Only a couple weeks left. Uh, or reach us on Twitter at geek2geekcast. We also have longer discussion threads on our subreddit at reddit.com slash r slash geek2geekcast. We also have great discussions on Slack and Discord. You can go to geek2geekmedia.com for invite links, and you can check out all of the other content on the network while you're 
while you're there. I blog at agreenmushroom.com, and you can find me at GRN Mushroom. That's Green Mushroom without the E's on Twitter. I'm on Twitter as at Professor Beej. That's Beej with two E's. And you can listen to my sweet, sweet voice even more on the Dragon Quest FM podcast. <laughs> <laughs> We've been Void and Beej with your Geek to Geek podcast. That'll do it for this week. See you next week, geeks. Bye, guys. Send us questions. Hey Geeks, this is Capsule J. I'm a streamer on the Geek2Geek Media Network. If you like discovering new games and chatting with cool nerdy folks, be sure to check out my channel on Twitch. You can find it at twitch.tv slash CapsuleJ. That's C-A-P-S-U-L-E-J-A-Y. I stream a blend of indies, retro games, and RPGs most Tuesday nights from 8pm to 11pm Eastern, and occasionally on Thursdays and weekends. Hope to see you then! Hi! My name is Joe Hogan, and I'm a geek. And if you're currently listening to this, there's a good chance you're a geek, too. So check out my podcast, Geektitude. Each week, I talk with somebody about their geek aptitude. Sometimes I talk to people in a geeky profession. Sometimes it's someone doing something really cool with their geekiness. Often it's another geeky podcaster. But it's always someone who wants to share their inner geek. So join me each week as we come together to geek out about all the geeky stuff we love. And remember, this week, keep it geek. Hello friends, this is Troidal Power inviting you to join me over on Twitch most weeknights sometime after dinner. Video games have always been a social hobby for me, with friends and family crammed together on a couch chatting away while someone holds the controller. And thanks to the power of the internet, I've got my own virtual couch over on Twitch where you can kick back and goof off while I play games. Find me on Twitch by searching Troidal Power, that's T-R-O-Y-T-L-E Power, to snag a spot on the couch. Hello, I'm Katie. And I'm Chelsea. And together we are Tea Time with Katie and Chelsea, a podcast all about pop culture. We talk about books, movies, music, basically anything we want at this point. Yes, we obsess about K-pop. And Keanu Reeves. And sometimes Katie cries on the podcast. Hey, that's rude. But really, we are just here to talk about all the things that we love. So make sure to head over to teatimewithkc.com and geek2geekmedia.com to check us out. And don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe to our show wherever you download your podcasts. Bye. Bye.